Welcome to His Church Owensboro Podcast. We are so excited about what God is doing in your life, and we would love to hear from you. Visit us at hischurch.cc and let us know about all of the things that God is doing in your life. If you have been blessed by this podcast and would consider supporting us financially, please visit hischurch.cc and click on Give to see the many options available. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message blesses you. Well, come on, let's give the Lord one more hand clap. Come on, let's really give him a good hand clap this Sunday morning. Amen. How many of y'all think he's worthy of all the glory, all the honor, all the praise? There is nobody like Jesus. Hey, would you welcome every campus with us right now? Come on, let's give Owensboro, Kentucky a hand clap. What's up, Owensboro? Henderson and Dumas, we love you all. We're glad you're here. At every campus, why don't you turn to somebody beside you and tell them you are lucky you got to sit by me again today. Just let them know that. They're blessed to be in your presence. I'm also blessed to be in your presence, and I'm excited about what God's going to do today. How many of y'all think God could speak to us in the next 30, 40 minutes? How many of y'all think God could touch us in the next 30 or 40 minutes? How many of y'all believe God could do something, reveal something to us through the Word? I believe that. And uh, we're going to get our hearts ready. We're going to lean in. And God's going to speak to us. But before we do that, I want us to take one moment and, and I want us to pray for Afghanistan right now together. All of our campuses, I want us to pray for the uh, stranded Americans there right now that they get out safely, that there's a hedge of protection. Also, I want us to pray for the church of Afghanistan, those left behind. And I, I want us to pray that there would be protection and that the Taliban would be driven back in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, let's. Let's pray that at every campus right now. Father, right now we come together and we ask that a shield of faith be lifted up to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. We come against that radical spirit of Islam right now and we command it to bow its knee to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I speak to every stranded American right now. I pray protection. Let angels hold them up lest they dash their foot against a stone. I pray for every Christian now, Lord, that you would lead them and guide them, make them faithful, strengthen them, Lord. Do your will in their life. I pray protection. I pray that salvation would arise from you. We say it doesn't come from the north, south, east, or west, but it comes from you, O Lord. So we pray that you would bless and send revival in the midst. Lord, deliver. We believe you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. Let's give him a hand clap like it is already done. Amen. It's already done. If you, have your, if you have your Bible on you this morning, I want you to open it up to the Gospel of St. Mark. The Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1. The Gospel of St. Mark, chapter 1. And we can begin reading uh, about verse 16 through 22. And we're starting a new series called The Invitation. How many of y'all are thankful that Jesus has invited us to do life with him? Is anybody thankful? We got, a, we got an invitation. You've been, you've been asked to come with Jesus, which is pretty amazing. Uh, nobody likes being left out. Nobody likes being pushed to the side. When everybody else gets the invite and you don't, it hurts your feelings. But Jesus is a Jesus that is invited the whole world. The Bible says that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe on him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Now I want us to go and look at some of the places where Jesus called his disciples. We're going to go to the Sea of Galilee now. 
I want us to go up to the northern part of Israel. We'll go to one of the most beautiful bodies of water on the earth. The Sea of Galilee is one of my favorite places on the earth. And when you fly to Israel back when they used to let us fly around before they started this one world government takeover stuff that we're going to push back against and have a revival in the midst of anyway. But back when we used to fly to Israel, you're, you're kind of upside down when you get there. So you get up very early in the morning. And, um, you know, you're up before anybody's up or anybody's moving because you're on a different time zone. And I love to get out on the Sea of Galilee and watch the sunrise. Now, it it kind of would make me think about the fishermen. Maybe some of these guys we're getting ready to read about in, in a second. Peter and, and Andrew and, and, and uh, the, the James and John. I bet before the sun ever came up, they're getting their nets ready. They're getting their boats ready. We got any fishermen or fisherwomen out there? Uh, if if, uh, if, let me see. Y'all like fishing? I quit fishing when I quit smoking pot because it was never about fishing for me. It was about getting stoned, right? But I know some of you really like it. I'm, uh, I'm more of a golfer than a fisherman. But these guys that get up, get ready, and go out there, and there's a day they, they go out to fish, and they get more than just to catch. Mark chapter 1, verse 16, here's what it says. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me. Come on, somebody say, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and talked. And there were ast- they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. You have you have uh, two different sets of brothers. Jesus calls them one after another. Mark tells the tale there. First he goes to Simon, Peter, and Andrew, and they're there casting nets into the water. Here comes this rabbi walking up. Think about this. All of these guys are working. They're producing something. Come on, they're not a bunch of slugs just waiting for something to come their way in life. Look at this. James and John, their father owned boats, had hired servants with them. All of these guys are like blue-collar business owners is what they are. Think of them of like the middle class of their day, but hustlers who were, who were working to build something and have something. See, here's what I found about kingdom production. If people won't produce in the natural, they'll typically never produce in the spiritual. If people are lazy in the natural, most of the time they're going to be lazy in the spiritual realm. Come on, how many of y'all think in America we could use another good dose of Christian work ethic and be producers and pushers and people that work and people that go after it, not people that lay back and won't take a job right now? Can I get an amen? We got an economy to save and a world to save. We need some workers. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap. If you want your kids and your grandkids to work. And you watch. Jesus didn't call. He didn't call to his innermost circle anybody that wasn't hard after something. They were doing stuff. They were messed up. Some of them were crooks. 
Some of them were cheating their own people, but they were all busy being productive. And he says, I see you being productive in the world, but now I got a higher authority. I got a higher purpose for you. Now I'm going to make you productive in the kingdom. So he walks by. These guys are casting their nets. It's a symbol. They're, they're catching fish. They're making money. And I'm all about making money. I hope we all have boatloads of money. But how many know there's something greater you can catch than fish, which equal dollars for fishermen? You can catch the souls, the spirits, the hearts, the minds, the intellect of man. We need to catch men again in America. Can I get an amen out there? Our, our culture needs to be caught. They're waiting on somebody with the right kind of net, the right kind of voice, the right kind of attitude to come and catch them. Now, I'm telling you, they're growing more hopeless and fear-filled and scared by the moment. And whenever they're getting to a rock bottom, come on, we as the church do not embrace the same spirit of fear that the world is embracing right now. We have a different spirit. We have the spirit of faith or the spirit of God. So you're going to shine brighter. As the world becomes darker, I'm telling you, you're going to become better bait for Jesus every day. You're a fisher of men. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you catch people. Just tell them that. You catch people at every campus. You catch people. Let, let us go back to remembering our purpose. Our purpose is always people. People are the goal. People are, are made in the image of God. People are beautiful. People are wonderful. That's what Jesus came. Came to invite and to catch people. So he walks by. Here's Simon. Here's Andrew. They're fishing. And he says, follow me. Now I'm going to change you from being a guy that just catches fish to a guy that can now catch men. And it's amazing. They, they drop their nets. Do you ever wonder about this? Like, like these guys are out there working. This kind of like, 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 I don't know. A lot of people see it like this. This guru, kind of rabbi, kind of spiritual teacher comes walking by turns to them and says, follow me. And they just drop their nets and just kind of walk off like starry-eyed with them. Does anybody ever wonder how that worked? Can you imagine being at your workplace and a guy showing up and saying, follow me? You'd be like, boss, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm out here. You know, docs taking off their medical equipment, people walk, getting off of heavy equipment and just leaving the bulldozer in the road. It's like, I got to go, go with the preacher now. I'm gone, I'm out. Uh, I mean, it never made sense to me. I used to think maybe... Maybe the anointing on Jesus was so strong, they could sense his spirit when he came by. And come on, he was Jesus, the anointed one. But, but, but that's, not, that's not why they followed him. What about Zebedee, the father of James and John? Can you imagine having these boys out there working for you? Some guy you've never seen before walks up and says, follow me. And all of a sudden, they abandon you with the family business and walk off and follow him. It's like over my dead body. I'd shoot them both in the back as they walked off right there. Bam, bam, right? So, so why did they do that? It's because it was the respect of the rabbi. We don't understand the way a rabbi discipleship relationship works in the West. We understand students and teachers, but we don't understand rabbis and disciples. Now, the way a student-teacher relationship works is like this. You know the drill. Come on, the bell rings, and you better be in the seat when the bell rings, or you're going to do detention afterwards, right? You sit down. Teacher starts talking. Student is listening. It's a 50-minute class. Teacher lectures, pontificates, on and on. You listen and receive. Then the bell rings. You get up. You leave. The class is now over. But everything was different with a disciple and a rabbi. 
Because how many of you know the bell didn't ring and the bell didn't end? Whenever you began to follow the rabbi, class never ended. You never went home. You did life. Everywhere he went, you went. Everything he said, you heard. You were close to the rabbi. One of the highest things you could ever become in Jewish culture back during these times was to become a rabbi. None of the brightest kids in school would become that. You would go through school and you would get to a certain level and, and there, were, there were breaks in Israel 2,000 years ago. Uh, they all went to a certain level and then the brighter kids got to go to the, to the next level of education. Then the sharpest kids in there, maybe if they really were a standout, really were like, you know, like top tier ACT, SAT kind of kid, did it all and knew it all. You know, kind of like, kind of like all of us were whenever we were in school, right? Top, a bunch of valedictorians in here. You know, I know we all were. If you were that kind of kid, you had a shot at becoming a rabbi. And here's the way you would become a rabbi: the smartest kid, the sharpest kid, you would have to go to where a rabbi was teaching. He would teach publicly. His disciples were with him. Other people could come and hear the sermons, but they couldn't travel as a direct disciple. You would go up, if you were the smartest, you were the brightest, people thought you had what it took, and it was almost a, it was a public ceremony. At the end of the rabbi's teaching, you would stand up as one seeking to follow the rabbi. You would lift up your hand, you would get the attention of the crowd, and you would say, Rabbi, everybody would look, Rabbi, may I follow you? Rabbi, may I follow you? Rabbi, may I follow you? You would say it three times. And the rabbi would look at you, and he, he would either say, come and follow me. And that meant, I believe you have what it takes. I think you can become what I am. You can do what I do. Or he would say, go back and learn the trade of your father. Whenever he said, go back and learn the trade of your father, it meant you don't have what it takes to be a rabbi. Think about all of these men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They've already been passed over as rabbis. And all of a sudden, this rabbi shows up, and they don't have to ask to follow him. Come on. Instead of them asking to follow him, Jesus flips the script, and he begins to call them to follow him. Come on. We didn't choose our rabbi church. Our rabbi chose us. We didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. He loves you. He calls you. He wants you. Come on. We got a God that says, come and follow me. So it blew. Even Zebedee was blown away. I mean, are you really going to call James? Do you know what all he's done and said? You know his grades in school? They walk off and they go with the rabbi because they see their top, top tier. Listen, here's what Jesus has called us to do. He's called us to walk with the rabbi. There's a proverb even spoken to this day in Israel. It's talking about the rabbi-disciple relationship. And they say this, may the dust of your rabbi be upon you. May the dust of your rabbi be upon you. What does that mean? It means that you walk so closely connected to your rabbi or your teacher. It's dusty. It's a lot like West Texas, around that part of the world. Dusty, walking. You know, you'd kick up dust. 
And the, the proverb is that you'd be so close to your rabbi, so close to your teacher, that wherever he walks, the dust would come up off of his feet and would come upon you. How many of y'all want to get so close to Jesus? Come on. That, that you hear his words, that you hear his heart, that you know who he is, that you see who he wants to heal, that is, that is, that is literal dust off his feet would be upon us. See, it really is true that more is caught than taught. Like, I have a theological degree, and um, I've, got, I've got a degree in, in, in theology and church history and even getting some more education. I pause because I'm pretty busy right now, but some way about, I don't know, halfway into my master's right now. But um, I've learned a lot through those classes now, I've learned a lot of stuff sitting, sitting in class. Now, I'm thankful for my education. I went to ORU, both me and Jesse. Now, I'm for education. I'm not against it. But now, me you know, at ORU, they did not teach me how to pastor a church. They didn't teach me in school how to effectively minister to somebody. They didn't teach me how to walk into a situation after, after you know, the bombs drop in a fallen world system. And learn to minister and speak life to people that don't know what just happened to them. You know where you learn all of that? You learn all of that by following a rabbi. Where do you follow the rabbi today? You learn it by being planted in the local church because the rabbi is setting up the church. I'm telling you, Jesus is here. This is his church. You get in the midst of ministry and you'll really learn. It's on the job training. It's like, like becoming a kindergartner teacher, kindergarten teacher. Doesn't matter how many classes you've sat through, doesn't matter what, what's going on. How many know you really get equipped to teach kindergartners the first day they show up and you have to deal with them, amen? And everything changes when you're on the job. And that's what a rabbi-disciple uh, relationship is about. It's about literal on-the-job training. That's what we need again in church. That's what we need again in America. Man, I'm telling you, we need to, we need to be around enough that we get the dust on us again. Because what we've done is, is we've dumbed down and we've made church and, and Jesus and ministry less important as a culture. How many of y'all remember way back in the day whenever Sunday mornings used to be like three-hour church services? Anybody been in three-hour Sunday morning church services when it was like holy mackerel tabernacle where we ever get out of here it just keeps going and going? Then you went home and you got a little nap. And then you had to get ready and you came back to church. Can y'all remember coming back on Sunday night? Come on. And the Sunday night service were the super crazy services, right? Because that's when the Green Berets showed up. The morning went two and a half, but the night sometimes, right? Could go, could go, it could go on forever and ever and ever. And then on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, everybody would be out, out, out of work, out of school, out of whatever. Where would we be back? We'd be right back where? In the house of God. Sometimes there were other events. And, and so as culture started changing and the devil started making us busy, doing what? I don't even know what we're busy doing anymore. Watching Netflix? Come on. Amazon Prime? YouTube? Tumblr? TikTok dances? I don't even Tumblr's still a thing. I think it is. I don't know. Um, I know all of you do a lot of TikTok dancing. I can, I can tell by looking at you right now. Um, we're busy doing a lot of stuff that doesn't really matter. I heard an old preacher talk about being busy. B-U-S-Y. 
Here's, here's, what, here's what they said. They said it was being under Satan's yoke. Being under Satan's yoke. I would be with the rabbi, but I'm too busy. He invites, he invites these guys. You know, some people get up and follow him, and some people in the story in the Gospels, they don't follow. Why? Because they were busy doing, doing something else. Telling you what, I don't want to miss the invitation. I don't want to miss the moment. I don't want to miss a miracle. I don't miss a word that falls from his mouth. I don't want to miss seeing Jesus be Jesus. I want to go with the rabbi. If you look after he calls these guys, calls them, and they, they, walk, they walk away from, from business. Zebedee, think about this, James and John. He stays with the hired servants. They have enough going on, they have employees. And uh, he, they, they leave all of that behind for the honor of being with the rabbi. And there's a time and there is a call. And we're all called to ministry, every person in here. You're called to serve Jesus. You're called to serve the church. You're called to serve one another, amen? But I've also watched some people that kind of have what Zebedee had going on, right? They, they were from the house of Zebedee. And God called them and they, they couldn't leave the boats. They end up being some of the most broken people I've ever been around. So when the rabbi walks by and calls you, whenever God calls you, let me tell you, the answer should already be yes. Come on, somebody give God a hand clap out there if your answer is already yes. They go from right there, the Sea of Galilee, and they walk in this text over to Capernaum. And they get in there, and he begins teaching in the synagogue. Says it right there, verse 21. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And everybody was astonished at his teaching. Everybody's blown away. They're, 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 man, they're mesmerized. They can't believe what's happening. And it says this, for he taught them as one having authority and not of the, as the scribes. Everybody say authority. Come on, let's say it again, authority. Say it one more time, authority. You got to say authority like you have authority, right? Come on, say it one more time, authority. All right. Now, now, we read that in the English. He taught us one having authority. But if you were in Hebrew culture and you understood what this meant 2,000 years ago, it was something totally different. See, there were, there were rabbis and Torah teachers that would come out and teach. And they could teach the people whatever they were taught. They were called a Torah teacher. All right, Torah teacher could teach the people whatever they were taught, but they could not interpret Scripture themselves. They could only teach what had been given to them. And there were many of them out there, and they had to study, and they had much of the Old Testament memorized. But about every 100 years in Jewish history, there would arise a rabbi that they would say had another level of authority. The Hebrew word is shmiha. It's a fun word. I like that. You ought to remember that. You ought to say that. Sounds kind of like a rodeo word in Hebrew or something, right? Shmiha. You can say that to get a horse to go faster, right? Shmiha. One having shmiha. Amen? And um, what you had to have accomplished to be a rabbi with authority is you had to have the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible memorized, committed to memory. You had to have the prophets committed to memory. You had to have the wisdom literature committed to memory. And he shows up, and there's something different when he starts teaching. He's one that teaches 
with authority. You hear whenever Jesus says this, Sermon on the Mount, or, or around in the Gospels, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. Now he's interpreting himself. You didn't get to do that unless you were a rabbi with authority, with Shmiha. I'm telling you what, we've got a rabbi that's not just one of the rabbis with authority. We have the greatest rabbi that's ever lived on the face of the earth. We have the good teacher, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And whenever his word comes forth, it comes forth with authority. Can I get an amen out there? If you follow him and you walk closely enough with him, the authority that's on his life will begin to come on your life in another level. You know what the world's looking for right now? You look at it right now. They're looking for somebody to operate in authority, for somebody to be bold, for somebody to speak up, for somebody to stand up, for somebody to not be afraid. They're looking for that lion-like authority that comes only in Christ, the lion and the lamb at the same time. We desperately need it in this culture. I don't know if you've watched some of what's happening in the world right now, but I'm telling you, you need to operate in authority. Amen? Australia. I've got friends in Australia, dear friends, called them. Just about a week and a half ago, I was seeing the video and the totalitarian nature of Australia. It was just mind-bending to me. They can't walk a half a mile away from their house. Very few deaths in Sydney. Sydney is totally locked down. Police and the military abusing the people. I'm telling you, they told some of the churches, you can't even sing into the camera whenever you're videoing for your video to go out. When I was talking to a pastor, you know, they rounded up 23,000 children in Australia, put them in a massive uh, uh, stadium, and vaccinated them all, and the parents couldn't come inside the stadium with their children. Parents couldn't come inside. By the way, three of those kids fell out dead in the midst of that stadium, by the way. Totalitarian spirit going across the earth. Look at what's happening right now in Afghanistan. Come on. We, that's our fumble as Americans. That's on us. And we ought to do something to fix it. Can I get an amen out there? That's what authority does. Authority fixes. It mends the messed up stuff. See, but if people won't operate in their authority, anything in the world can happen to you. You have locks on your door for a reason. It's to keep people out that don't need to be in the house. But if you don't lock the door, you haven't operated in that authority. And so whatever's on the outside can come on the inside. What authority does is authority stands up and says, no, here's the line. You won't come past it. This is where God says we can go, where God says we can't go. This is right. This is wrong. This is power. This is perversion. This is life. This is death. Authority draws the line in the sand. Come on. You get close enough to Jesus and the character of Jesus. He is one teaching, not as the scribes or Pharisees, but as one having authority. You will become a person of authority. Come on. Somebody stand up on your feet. Give God. Come on. Let's stand up and give him a hand clap that he has given us his authority. See, he invited us to go with him. When he invited us to go with him, he invited us to walk in his authority. He said these words. He says, all authority in heaven and earth. You can stay, remain standing, remain standing. I'm, I'm done, all right? You're like, a preacher's already done? All right, just sit back down. Uh, oh, he said this, all authority 
in heaven and on earth is given to me. Then he says, go therefore. Says, you go in my authority. I want you to begin to see yourself not just as a person, not just as what culture calls a Christian, but as a disciple of Jesus. Amen? I want to see, I, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's one that operates in authority. That's one that calls others to come with him. Right there, you've got some cards in your seat or some of the campuses, they may be bringing cards to you right now. I want you to grab one of these cards. It's just an invitation card. Come on, it's an invitation card. Right now is the time of the year. Families are, are back in school. People are coming back from vacation right now. Starting this next week, they, they kind of got kids in and got through that this week and took a big nap on Saturday. And a lot of them have been dispersed throughout the summer, dispersed throughout COVID. They're out of the church habit. Some of them have never been invited. They're waiting on an invitation. Is anybody thankful that Jesus walked by and invited Peter to come with him? Come on, y'all remember, remember Peter stood up on Pentecost and preached and the Spirit of God fell, amen? And then it, it came upon all, all flesh. That's part of the reason we're here, because Jesus invited Peter. You know, somebody invited me, my brother, older brother, Todd. Years ago, we used to party together. And uh, I'm talking about party hard together. And he got born again. He got saved. Stuff started changing in his life so radically back then, it, it, it shocked me. Couldn't believe it. I'm like, who are you and what have you done with my brother? And I would try to mess him up. I would go by his, I would go by his place with like a, a, a half gallon, a big bottle of Makers and a bag of cocaine. Come on, let's party. And he wouldn't drink my bourbon anymore and he wouldn't do my Coke anymore. And I wanted my Coke buddy back. How I many know just because you got saved doesn't mean everybody's for it? Am I getting amen out there? And he kept inviting me to come to his church. And I'd tell him I was coming and I would no-show him at the door. I did it I don't know how many times. And then finally one day I showed up because of the invitation. And I'll tell you, my life's changed. I'm here because somebody invited me and prayed for me. How many of y'all are thankful for the people that prayed for you and invited you? Say, come on, follow me as I follow Jesus. I'm so thankful. It's, it's the way the kingdom works. Without that, I'm telling you, we don't, we don't have anything. Without that invitation, that's the strongest thing we could do to start a revival. Now, I believe it's already here, but to, but to make sure it manifests everywhere. Strongest thing we could do to start a revival and have a revival and sustain revival, I should say it like that, in, in, in Amarillo, Owensboro, Henderson, and Dumas is to go invite somebody to church. Let's be like Jesus and say, come on, follow me as I follow Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take those cards in your hand, lift them to heaven right now, right now. We're going we're gonna to pray. God's going to do something big. I want him to show us, who do we invite? Who do we, who do we call? Come on, whenever you call them, it's God calling them. He's just using you to do it. Whenever you call them, it's God calling them. He's just using you to do it. Father, right now, I thank you that you show us, lead us, guide us, put people in our paths, we pray. Father, we ask to be used by you to invite somebody to extend an invitation for eternal life and real change. 
to another person. Right now, I pray, I believe for that authority that's on Jesus to be on each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you that we're in the, in the, in the lifestyle of Jesus, walking and hearing his word. And we're inviting others to follow him. Father, I pray this next week that more people will be born again than have been born again this week. I pray that a momentum will begin at every campus. I pray those that are outside of the house of God would come in. I pray for every loved one, every child, every grandchild, every cousin, every brother, every sister of the people in these rooms to be born again. And Father, we pray that we, you would use us supernaturally to do it. I declare you use us supernaturally to do it. Come on. I declare you use us supernaturally to do it. In Jesus' mighty name, and the church said amen, amen, amen. Come on, put those in your pocket or your purse, and let's, let's give the Lord one more big.